Grab your favorite caffeinated beverage and get cozy because you are listening to Mindful as a Mother with Paige Bruce and Lindsay Adams. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for therapy or the therapeutic relationship. And the information given in this podcast is purely for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the advice of a professional. Hello, hello, Lindsay here. Um, I am super stoked for today's episode. To be honest, I could not figure out a topic and then it finally just came to me. And so I am learning more and more in this journey. Sorry if you hear a door slam. Um in this journey of building my business and doing this podcast that I just have to let things flow to me. I can't force them. Um, so the good ideas will just come. And I think this one is a good idea. I'm sorry if you don't, once you've heard it and you're like, come on, just tell me what it is. Uh, before I, but before I get into that, I just want to say happy summer. And I hope everyone is having a great time being home with their kids or having their kids home and adjusting the schedule. And if there's a couple week transition period where things feel real dicey, you are not alone because I am going through that, adjusting my work schedule and the kids' schedules and I overbooked activities and I have to back off of some of them. And yeah, it's just been a lot. So um, if you're there, I'm with you, sending all my love. Don't be afraid to cancel some things. I said that more for myself, but don't be afraid to cancel some things, Lindsay. Today's topic is things you can ask yourself before disciplining. So how I came up with this idea. When I have been creating TikToks, some of them have been focused around um, your child when they have a behavior that you don't necessarily like. It's a form of information and communication rather than like manipulation and trying to piss you off. Most of the time, kids are communicating some kind of need. Um, And I've gotten a lot of comments on these videos about like, well, what about this? Or what about this situation? Or my kid does not need YouTube time. Or they do not need to be right. That's why they're arguing with me. And I can usually help people walk through and find a deeper reasoning for that arguing or that need. But I thought I would just kind of give you a guide to do it yourself with your child and their behaviors so that you can um, feel empowered in how you are showing up for them and meeting their needs. Now, when your child is having a behavior you don't like and you are figuring out the need or they have a need, it does not mean that there doesn't need to be consequences or boundaries for that behavior. All it means is that we're being aware of what is causing our child to act this way and trying to rectify it, specifically when it comes to emotions and like tantrums, figuring out why they are having a tantrum and if there are any other external factors at play can be really helpful in helping them regulate emotions in the future, teaching them regulation skills. So when I'm saying figure out the need, it doesn't mean that the behavior, quote unquote, should be excused completely if it is totally inappropriate. Let me give you an example. So say your child is hitting when they are upset. It's not okay to hit, but maybe figuring out why they are hitting or what triggers them to hit so that you can help them. I'm going to try and stagger my ages and examples for 
all ages out there um, because I know I tend to get caught up in smaller children and I think that is mostly because um, I am parenting small children at home. So when I envision these techniques and tactics, I think of me using them at home and I share my own experiences and I know that that can be helpful. But if you have older kids, these, yes, can totally be applied and helpful for you. So I'm going to try and bring the older examples as well. Okay, so if your child is displaying a behavior you do not like, um, the first question you can ask yourself is, is my child overwhelmed or overstimulated? Do they feel safe in their body and experience? Now, this is not, does their mind feel safe? This is, does their nervous system feel safe? So our nervous system perceives threats and reacts to them. Um, and even if the the threats, quote unquote, are excitement or good things, our nervous system reacts to them, causing us to be unregulated. That is why a lot of us have like anxiety or um, even ADHD type stuff is we can go into fight or flight really easily. And part of what we can do for our kids and ourselves is strengthening our nervous system so that we don't go into fight or flight as easily. One of the ways you can do this is with sensory techniques, recognizing what it's like when you go into fight or flight. That's a whole other episode. But so are they in fight or flight? Is their body safe? Do they feel safe? Not brain-wise, like obviously you're like, well, they're in a room with me watching a tablet and I'm taking the tablet away. They're safe. Their body may be saying that they're not or that this is uncomfortable or that there's danger or this is something they don't like because it feels out of control or like they aren't being heard or a bunch of other reasons. So asking yourself that question and asking if there could be a reason that they are in fight or flight. Along with this, are they feeling hungry or sick? Because if you're either of these things, your body has a need to meet and it doesn't really feel safe until that need is met. Uh, when I am hangry, everyone needs to back up and watch out. And I am learning the same thing exists with Sam. Like if he is hungry, there is nothing you could do. He is a rage monster, right? And I see that in myself and I have been able to recognize that. So when I'm trying to be better about making sure that he has meals and snacks regularly or I prompt him to eat if I notice he's getting emotional because that usually takes care of it. The other one is tired. You can do this with teenagers. If you know as kids they got really grouchy when they were hungry, um, when they were younger, you can prompt them to eat, providing snacks, structuring food, however you do it in your house. Um, if they're sick or getting sick, this is the one that I always like kick myself for later because like their behavior will be off and then I'll be like, oh, makes sense. They were getting sick. So trying to be aware of like, are they not feeling good? Are they tired? Those things. Um, there's also sensory overwhelm, which can happen when there's too much going on. Are they overstimulated? And overstimulated can happen when we are excited too. So if they're at a birthday party and they're excited or they're going to a play date or their first baseball game, or they have a date if you have a teenager and they're excited, they can be overstimulated. Um, but it might also be um, ex being exposed to too many sensory experiences. Disneyland is the perfect example of the most overstimulating 
place in the world. Also, my kitchen at dinner time. So the, the Alexa's on because we love music. The kids are yelling at it. There's a timer going off. I hear a tablet in the background. My dogs are barking. That is my auditory overstimulation. What I do for myself is I take a sensory break. And we can become in tune with our kids or attuned, which is a word Paige and I use a lot on this podcast, and recognize what sets them off in that way. What senses are they more likely to become overstimulated with? Um, another example with Sam, I know his is hearing. So we bought these cute little like earplugs that don't look like earplugs. They're clear. He calls them his AirPods, but they don't actually play anything. And we can slip them in his ears when he has like a class party at school because he gets super overstimulated by all the noise. And he'll ask his teacher to go back to the classroom. He doesn't really know why or what it is. Um, and just recently he started saying it's too loud. It's too loud. So being aware of those things, if you are curious what senses your child is sensitive to, um, I recommend checking out the sensory therapist on Instagram. I was lucky enough to um, go through her Sensory Life Academy and the quizzes in there were so helpful in figuring out like what senses um, my kids were sensitive to and things I could do to strengthen those senses so that they don't become overstimulated as easily. She also has free stuff on her page. So that is a great resource if you think there's sensory stuff. Um, too many transitions can make a kid feel unsafe, make their body brain feel unsafe. This could be, are we thinking big picture, like there's a divorce or a co-parenting situation, or we're moving, or there's a death in the family, or even right now, um, school got out. So there's a lot of transition there with schedules and timing. And so the example in my family is mom's work schedule has changed. Their childcare has changed a little bit. They're now home all day, every day. My girls don't have preschool. Um, it's warmer outside. We're doing different things like baseball was starting and maybe we're camping more, traveling more. So there's a lot of transitions. And what you can do to help a child who's transitioning is to tell them what to expect, what's coming up next, and give them a lot of grace during the transition periods. There's also smaller transitions like maybe uh, coming inside, cleaning up, getting off the tablet, brushing your teeth, all those things might be too much for them to handle. Being aware of that and adjusting as necessary. Things don't feel predictable. Um, and this can include your reactions. So something that is a very important to kids is predictability and stability. And that's why consistency in parenting is so important because predictability makes kids feel safe. So if they don't know how you're going to react from one moment to the next, they may be on the edge of fight or flight. And this doesn't mean that you're a bad parent or a loose cannon or that they expect you to come in hot yelling. Maybe it's one day you respond and you're like super kind or you don't really care because um, they broke something and then the next day you like you're irritated and you might yell but you might not right and if you are this back and forth a lot of the time it may be creating that the thing you can do for them work on the connection and work on predictability and consistency in your responses to them so um having the same consequences for behaviors that um are typical so I'm trying to think of a good example. Say that they don't get off their tablet, then they lose their tablet for the next day. They know what the consequence will be. They know what the expectations are and they know how to meet them. And so it's, and then the parent following through with that. Boundaries make kids feel safe. I'm going to say it one more time for good measure. Boundaries make kids feel safe. So the more consistent 
safely we can have boundaries, the safer our kids feel. And they might fight the boundaries in the beginning, but in the end, it really does help them and make them feel safe. And this is one I really struggle with is being consistent in um, discipline, especially like I give way too many warnings. I just want them to do the right thing. But really what I'm doing is training them to, you know, not and to not trust me. And so I've really had to like, and Tim's helped me like be accountable in that, like, no, we get, you tell them the expectation, they get a warning with what the consequence will be, and then you enforce the consequence. So it's the expectation is when I hand the tablet to them for their tablet time, that when you get off the tablet, if you are whining or giving us a hard time, you will lose your tablet the next day. Then hand them the, and then when I give them the warning, if there's whining, I say, remember, if you whine, you'll use the t- lose the tablet. And then if they whine, taking the tablet. So been working on that myself. Here are some other things you can do if, if maybe you don't know why they're unregulated, but you know it's a nervous system fight or flight thing, um, you can have them move their body. Some kids need to move emotions through their body. You could jump on a trampoline, run around outside playing tag, go swimming, any kind of movement. Um, Swings are great for this, another sensory thing. Um, Linear swings are more calming than the circular ones or the ones that don't go back and forth. Um, I learned that from the Sensory Life Academy, so you should really check that out. Um, But So we have both in our backyard just because we have a tree swing, a rope swing, and a swing set. So... Um, and I, I've noticed when Sam gets upset, he will go out to swing and he has recognized that that calms him down. And so now I can prompt that like, Hey, um, I know you're mad at me. Would you like to go swing? And most of the time he will. And he takes his time. He's outside in nature, does his thing, comes back in is totally fine. The next thing you could do if moving your body doesn't work or it doesn't fit the situation is having some quiet time or a sensory break. I do this multiple times a day um, where I close my eyes and just focus on my breathing for a few minutes and no other sounds or anything because I get overstimulated and I know our kids need to do the same thing. There's so much stimulation in this world just with electronics and the busyness and the activities and then especially like being home all day together, just giving them some quiet time or a sensory break. You can even set up like soft blankets, calming music, and create like a calming corner, whatever suits your fancy in this category. Um, Recognizing the effects that screen time has. So um, how much screen time is your child getting and how does it affect them? I like to ask questions more to parents when they talk to me about screen time and my recommendations for screen time about how screen time affects their child. So if you have a child that's crying every time you take the tablet away, then it likely affects them more than the child who just like stops playing before their timer's up. I have one of each. And so I have to be like really strict when it comes to screen time timers and stuff, because I know that too much creates a problem later. And the hard thing about this is sometimes I just need to get something done. And then when there is fallout later, the only person I can blame is myself because I knew it was coming. I knew it was coming. But this helps just like being aware of what affects your child. So knowing screen time is a trigger. How can I limit it, be really consistent and have boundaries with it in a way that doesn't create behaviors later that I am not happy with? Doing a grounding activity. So my favorite one for this is playing I Spy or finding something of 
all one color. So if it's all of my kids, we'll say find everything green and they'll point everything green out. Or we can say, you know, I spy with my little eye. And that helps them bring back into their environment, ground themselves, and uh, instead of focusing on everything else that's going on, and it reminds their nervous system and body that like, hey, I'm here in this moment and I'm safe. Water is always like a really great way to cleanse and to reset. So drinking a cold, um, a cup of cold water, taking a warm bath, drinking a cup of warm something, hot chocolate, um trying to think cold shower both hot and cold and and you can play around with this and recognize like or not recognize learn what helps your child calm down the most and what you can do to help them when they are experiencing a specific emotion or feeling the last one is tasting something that's strong flavored or crunchy um so for my little therapy clients or teenagers i recommend a lot of mints if there's a strong taste like peppermint cinnamon those things those hard candies even the butterscotch ones and focusing on the taste of it can be really helpful in calming if you have older kids this can be good in teaching them how to regulate their own nervous system when they are feeling like they are in fight or flight or they they need to calm down and bring themselves back into their bodies Those are the suggestions for do they feel safe in their body and things you can do to help them feel safe and bring them back into the present moment and back into their body. Now, this specifically relates to the brainstem part of their brain, which is where fight or flight happens, threats perceived. You'll also hear it referred to as lizard brain. When we move on to the next question, we're going to talk about connection and lack of connection. And this can overwhelm children um, because they at the age that most children are, like 12 and younger, um, but starting with like our younger years, we need a parent to help us co-regulate. And that is how we learn self-regulation. Now, if you have a teenager and you're like, well, you just said 12 and younger, this won't apply to me. It absolutely will. Because if they haven't learned the skill, they they need to still learn it and they still need to co-regulate. Co-regulating looks different with a teenager than it does with a young child like a toddler, but it's still the same thing and they still need it. So these could be signs and you can ask yourself, am I spending enough one-on-one time with my child? Am I doing enough child-led time? Is my child feeling ignored? Um, When they approach me to talk to me or tell me something or say, hey, mom, look at this, am I always on my phone and they have to ask me a hundred times or do I set it down and pay attention to them? Now, I'm not shaming anybody because I get parenting and real life. Um, I'm just saying these are things to be aware of and patterns. You're not going to be able to respond 100% of the time in the perfect way and that's totally okay. Um. If there is like discipline in the home that isolates the child or ostracizes them, this can also add to this one, Um, not having their feelings validated or acknowledged. So even the best intentioned parents will say, don't worry about that. Don't be sad. Don't be scared. And they're comforting and calming, but they're still invalidating unknowingly their child's feelings and experiences. If you think one of these things may be contributing to your child's behavior, these are some things you can do. Um, spend one-on-one time together, cuddling, reading a book, watching a show. If you have a teenager, just watching a show in the same room is <laughs> probably a good goal. 
this connection time. If your kid thrives on physical contact, I would encourage that because it can be really helpful in building the attachment and the relationship. You can also schedule one-on-one time with them and let them know that you see them and their need for connection and you are acknowledging it. This one is a harder one to like pick out because sometimes kids will have um, like attention-seeking behaviors and you'll know that like, oh, I I can kind of tell that they are needing more one-on-one time or more time with me. And at this point, um, and my girls are just four, but I usually talk to them about that. Like, you don't have to do this to get my attention. This is how you can get my attention. And I show them how to get attention in a positive way. But then I also, on the back end of that, make the effort to uh, respond more quickly or be less distracted if I think that they are trying to get attention. If you are unsure, you can always play around and add in more connection time and see if that meets the need. So some of this is a little like detective work and a little like guessing, and it may be that your child is used to only getting negative attention, and so they need to be taught how to ask for positive attention, and sometimes when a kid is in trouble a lot, they get used to that being their pattern and interaction with their parents, and they may need that um, like positive time where you're not talking to them about their grades, their girlfriend, their curfew, (laughs) any of those things, right? Like... And this, for teenagers, this is really going to require meeting them on their level and doing things that they enjoy. And you might not like it, but, and it doesn't have to be a big chunk of time, but finding something that you guys can do together. Making kids laugh, connecting over laughter is a great way to connect and to meet that attention and validation need. So, um, In our family, we love funny cat and dog videos, or we have certain shows we like to watch together, or we tease and like tickle and play. And those, my husband is super playful. This comes naturally to him. So I've been able to learn how to be more that way by just observing him. This is great. Um, Making things a game, right? So like playing hide and seek or seeing who can get dressed the fastest or brush their teeth the fastest or clean up the fastest. This is a way that we can connect around a topic or a chore that is usually like an argument or there are behaviors surrounding it. Having family rituals can also be really helpful for this. So I know I've shared this before in our house, we do our high and low of the day at dinner or if, um, and our lives have gotten busier. So we're not always home for dinner or I'm working later. And so I've really made an effort to do it before everyone goes to bed. Everyone in the family shares theirs. We talk through it and it's really cool and really fun. And it's a great connecting thing. Uh, my kids also have this. If your kids are younger, you can do something like this. We have a a family chant and they are all in on it. Um, and I can't remember how it started, but we taught them to just like put their hands in and we all say team Adams on three and we say team Adams. So anytime I feel like we need a pep talk or we need to do something together, we do the team Adams chant and the kids have been asking to do it. So you can create something like that, a secret handshake if you have an elementary age kid, any way to bond and connect. And if you have a teenager, I would just ask them like what they would like to do with you. Um, Do they want to go out to eat? Do they want to go to a movie? Do they want you to talk with them before bed every night? Do they want you to play video games with them? And following their lead. They may not want you to do anything. And if that's the case, then just being really patient and maybe just starting with like, hey, uh, I need a ride to my friend's house. Okay, Um, you were going to take them anyway, but taking that time to either um, talk to them or let them pick the music or say, hey, I really like this song too. Who sings it? 
finding ways to connect with those teenagers. Ugh, so gnarly teenagers. I am not looking forward to that phase. But I am at the same time because there's a lot of, it's really cool to see your kids, I'm sure, um, morph into more adult-like creatures, um, but with, you know, toddler-like brains because <laughs> that's kind of what's going on. Okay. Um, now, last one. Is my child behaving this way because they are missing a skill or I need to teach them something? Now, this is usually where we start. And uh, not that it's a bad place to start, but there's a reason I put this last because it truly is last. If you don't have the foundation, you can't do this last thing. And a lot of people want to start at the scale. They want to say, I'm going to teach them the scale and it's going to all be better. They're going to implement it perfectly. Things are going to be fine. And sometimes that works, but sometimes it doesn't. So starting at the beginning and then you get to, is there a skill? They don't know how to express their feelings in a way that's appropriate. Do I need to teach them how to do that? Um, Kids can learn skills, some of them, through modeling, right? How to do certain things. When it comes to coping skills, because everybody is so different, it's good to give them a lot of options to try and to figure out and to work through so that they can figure out what works best for them and in what situations. So certain skills aren't always going to work in every situation. If you need help with this, my Coping for Kids course, Shameless Plug, is a great way to learn how to teach your kids coping skills. This also ties into our first question and um, part of teaching kids skills is teaching them what it feels like in their body when they are calm and when they are heightened. And so asking them when they're upset, where do you feel that in your body? How intense is it? And your kid will learn, like, I feel, um, like when I feel anger, my face gets red. They'll make that connection. So then when their face gets red, they'll know, oh, hey, I'm starting to get angry. What can, what are my coping skills for anger? What does calm feel like in my body? And how do I get back to a place of more calm? What things make me feel more calm? This is a long process, but it's something that all kids need to learn. And it starts with this co-regulation piece. So they may be learning a new skill. Um, this doesn't have to do with coping skills, but they maybe don't have the capacity to, say, do their whole morning routine without you checking or helping in some way. But sometimes we just expect them to do the morning routine and then we get frustrated when they don't do it or when they get distracted or when they are then, you know, coloring rather than getting dressed and ready for school. So is your child at the level where maybe they can do one or two things on their own? Then they check in with you, really figuring out what their expectations are and how we can help them grow in this skill. So if the skill is not getting distracted, then we have them do like get dressed, brush their teeth, and then come check in with us and we give them the next two things. And then next week we add in a third thing like pack your lunch. And we keep getting building and building until they can complete the whole routine. So that might be something we need to do. Are we expecting something that isn't in their skill level of them? Now, age seems to be how we measure this. And that's an okay way. But recognizing that sometimes kids' ability levels and developmental levels will be different. And that's okay. So really just starting where your child is and making it a little challenging but not too challenging is going to be one of the best ways to... Um, build a skill if that's what you need to do. Sometimes it requires us just 
adjusting our expectations because we are expecting too much of them. So expecting a three-year-old to not have tantrums is too much of an expectation. I'm sorry, right? So how can I scale it back? What can I expect of my three-year-old to have tantrums, right? And then how can I show up and support them? And I can expect them, I can teach them not to hit, or I can expect them to maybe, you know, sit and do a couple breaths with me. What is more realistic for that three-year-old? Um, when you are trying to figure out if something is too hard for your child or if they need expectations need to be adjusted, if they are of talking age, you can ask them questions. Teenagers, gosh, teenagers and chores, cleaning their room, right? You can ask them what part of cleaning your room is the hardest. If that's the thing that's bothering them, what part of turning your assignments in is the hardest? Well, I do them, but I just forget to turn them in. Okay, well, how can we help you figure out how to remember to turn them in? Can you set alarms in your phone? Can you ask a friend to remind you? Can you make sure you put pack your backpack the night before so you're not getting assignments? And you help them brainstorm these problems instead of saying, hey, figure out how to turn your work in or you're going to be grounded. Because that's not actually helping our kids learn any skills. All it's doing is giving them consequences. And then if they actually genuinely don't have the skill then they're never going to learn it. We have to teach them. So if it's cleaning the room, well, it's just there's too many things. You can help them figure out a strategy for cleaning their room. Younger kids, you can ask them what feels hard or what they think would help them. You can also um, talk to them about emotions or feelings once they've calmed down, and this can help them brainstorm skills they want to try and learn. So you can say, I wonder... If there are other ways for you to show that you're angry or upset that don't involve hitting people, what are some of those things you could do? You can write them down. You can put them on the wall and be like, okay, this list is on the wall. So next time you're angry, I want you to try one of those things rather than hitting. Okay. Right. Um, Validate feelings. You can say something like, I know this is really hard and I can see that you are really frustrated. So let's have a do over. Um, This can be if you have given them something and you recognize the expectation is just too high. So say you've said, go do your morning routine and it's not a good day and the expectation was too high. You can say like, okay, I can see you're frustrated. I can see I'm getting frustrated. Let's have a do-over. Let's just go do this and then come back and talk to me. Um, you can you can always do that as a parent. You can you don't have to just like full send because you committed to that if you realize that it's developmentally like not appropriate for your child. You can even also offer them do-overs when it comes to like whining and attitudes and things like that because those are skills that they need to learn and they need us to prompt them and help them learn that. So a whining example I have um, is one of my four-year-olds, Ava, loves to whine. Um, And so when she'll whine, I'll say, okay, I'm having a hard time understanding what you're saying to me and I can tell you're upset or worried because you're whining. Why don't you have a do-over and tell me in a way that I can understand. So she'll say something and then I'll say, okay, and I can respond from there. So offering do-overs and she's started to whine less and less because she knows that I'm going to make her do the do-over because I'm consistent with it and I don't like whining, right? So I could react in a way that's like, stop whining. I don't want to hear it, right? Um, And that 
invalidates her feelings. It doesn't help anything. And she's just going to probably whine and cry more afterwards. But if I stop her and I teach her how to ask me in a way that I can understand where she's still allowed to express her frustration with me because I'm saying no to her, not right now or whatever, then she doesn't feel the need to whine. So I'm meeting her need, which is expressing her feelings and I'm validating her feelings and asking for what she wants while also helping correct the behavior. That's the whole goal here. This is what we want to do in all of our parenting is guide our kids and teach them while holding them accountable and meeting their needs. For an older kid, maybe they get sassy with you. You can say, hey, you came in real hot here and I'm going to give you a chance to have a do-over and talk to me in a respectful way. Sometimes they will, sometimes they won't. And if they don't, then you can use the consequence or do whatever you would normally do in that situation. But a lot of times what it does too for teenagers is they are pretty impulsive. (laughs) I'm not telling anything you didn't know there. Teenagers are very impulsive and they can often react before they have thought about like the consequences. So they're just frustrated and they react. And that when given the do-over, it's pointed out to them what their behavior looks like in the, the moment, and it gives them a chance to correct. So it actually helps them recognize when they are being sassy if they don't already have that awareness. So the whole goal here is we still want to set limits, but we should not just jump to punishment with our children or jump to fixing the problem because there is likely a deeper need there that we are not recognizing And I'm just going to remind you of the three questions really quick. Do they feel safe and not is their brain safe, but does their body and nervous system feel safe? Do they need connection? And um, is there a skill that's missing? If you have any questions or want to share any wins with me, please, I love it when people like tag me on Instagram or share with me ways they are implementing the tips and tricks. I made a reel the other day about a boredom menu and someone shared this really cool poster board they made and I shared it and it just makes me so happy to see all of these things come to life in different creative ways that meet your child's needs and level and work for your family. So please, please share those with us on Instagram. Now it is time for the mom fails. My mom fail this week involves language. So there's a bad word in here for anyone who has young ears listening. Um, I am not good at monitoring my language in front of my children and they're getting good at recognizing that like there are grown up words that they're not allowed to say, but I know that they like let it slip sometimes when I'm not around or when I'm not listening And my husband was picking up dog poop and I think I was taking a nap maybe. And, but I wasn't out there and Ava walked up to my husband and was like, so you picking up dog shit? And he was like, what did you just say? Uh, yeah. So that's probably my fault because I am the worst at language. The last week of school, I forgot to pick my daughter up from preschool. I haven't had to get her in such a long time because we carpool that I forgot what time pickup was at. Whoops. I mean, I think we've all been there at some point because, and especially with preschool, because preschool is like two hours. It's not long enough. It's easy to forget to go back. This last one is something we can all relate to. It is the mom that forgot to wash their kid's sports jersey and they had to wear it with grass stains and dirt all over it. I have already been there and Sam has only had two baseball games. 
I think they need to give kids more than one jersey if they're going to play more than one game in the same week. Like, it is not a realistic expectation for me to be able to wash a jersey twice a week. Just once. You have to give me, like, a week turnaround on laundry. Um, And I think moms everywhere could agree. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Go follow us on the gram, TikTok, Join our email list. We have tons of cool stuff. Paige's uh, summer guide is amazing. Don't let summer steal your sanity is what it's called. Check that out and I will talk to y'all later. Bye. Thanks for coming to Mindful as a Mother podcast. If you'd like more of us and Mindful as a Mother, you can find Paige at Instagram at Parenting with Paige and Lindsay at Linz underscore Adams LCSW. Find us on TikTok, Instagram, and in our Facebook group, creating community and smashing parental stigma, embracing mindful motherhood and positive parenting. Thanks so much and see you next time.